0: Hi, we are in a new episode of History and Politics Podcast, and we have a uh, great guest. We have Akiva Malamed, who is completing his degree in government from the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya, Israel, where he was a long time senior member of the International School Debate Society, and he's a contributor to the site's literary occurrence and sweet talk conversation, where he writes about philosophy, politics, and culture. So. We are going to talk today about uh, Israeli politics. And so how how we could describe the the present of Israeli politics and try to, from the present, try to to do a little bit about history, about how it it came there. So is there something that that people misunderstood about Israeli politics that that is that that studying there you you have seen that, that that is a common thing that people think about Israel that it's not necessarily true?
1: Well, um, I would say that the things that people tend to think depend a lot on their political perspective and on the geographical location that they come from. Um, so different people have different kinds of misconceptions. Um, I would say that for um, people who identify as being um, more... Uh, left, left-wing, and more critical of Israel and of the palest, and more pro-Palestine. Um, they tend to see Israel as a state that's only interested in sort of uh, eliminating Palestinians, destroying the Palestinian cause, not recognizing Palestinians, and that I think is a mistake. And then for people who are more right-wing, um, there's this perception that Israel is only interested. Um, in self-defense and in protection, and in, in, you know, ensuring that the Jewish people can continue, and that all the things that they do to Palestinians are just pieces of that, um, pieces of pieces of that goal. Um, and so, depending on your political perspective, people tend to simplify the conflict um, into saying that uh, mistakes were made primarily by Israel or primarily by Palestine. Um, and so, depending on who you're talking to you're going to have
0: different mistakes that come up. Okay, and, but there is, for example, I I think it's very curious that, at least from Latin America, we don't hear that much from from Israel. The few things we hear is that Israel tries to sell itself as a startup nation, but at the same time, as far as I know, taxes are quite high. So it's it's kind of contradictory, that that kind of pro-business mentality at the, the same time Higher taxes. So, so how would you describe that?
1: Yeah, so I would say that um, Israel sells itself as being sort of obviously very innovative uh, because it has been in a lot of different areas, um, whether that's in business or science or, you know, there's a lot of Nobel Prize winners, that kind of thing. Um, and it's true that the startup industry is very innovative, right? Like, there have been a lot of major companies that have come out of the startup industry, uh, industry of Israel. Uh, Companies like Waze, um, a lot of connections to companies like IBM. And um, those sectors of the Israeli economy are innovative. Um, But unfortunately, the rest of the Israeli economy is not uh, very innovative. So the high tech sector was deregulated in the 1990s uh, when Benjamin Netanyahu was the finance minister. And that resulted in a big high-tech boom and a lot of innovation in that area of the economy, especially in the knowledge sector of the economy. Um, but the non-high-tech areas, the places where most of the population still works, right, uh, manufacturing, service industry, a lot of the main areas of the economy, um, agriculture, continue to be highly regulated, uh, continue to be highly taxed. Um, there are a lot of state-owned enterprises that continue to exist. So. Outside of the high tech sector, Israel still has a lot of state intervention um, and regulation that limits the growth that might be possible.
0: Okay, but I, I think that there there is a lot of of how 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 to describe it. I mean, it is very curious and, and complex. I, I was reading a. A book review about Netanyahu and, and a recent um, a recent uh, book about him, and and he's a very kind of polarizing character. And he, I, I, I suspect, he has. Some, it's it's very curious the what, what you're describing because this kind of, of, of complexity that exists with with uh, a state that is innovative and at the same time is. Has higher taxes it reminds me a little bit about Sweden, which also has it. it, it maybe not use the term "startup nation," more like the humanitarian superpower. But but anyway, it's it's very startup friendly. I mean, there are a lot of startups, particularly in Stockholm, and at the same time, they have very high taxes, much more higher than, than Israel And and I, I'm not seen necessarily as as, as It's quite that strange now that I think about it, but the the issue that is quite curious is that technically we, and in general, we identify Netanyahu as as the right, and and that the right has had a a much stronger power for many years, so still it's kind of surprised that the level of taxes hasn't get low, because I mean, if Peru has also has basically a right wing this its existence, basically. So, I mean, they are not very interested in, 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 in do the regulation, but they haven't raised taxes as in other countries in Latin America. So in that sense, I, I guess that one will think there is a little bit more, less orthodoxy in the right in Israel. For some reason? Yeah,
1: so I would say that the right-wing in Israel is defined primarily not by economic issues but by nationalism issues and by security issues. So it's defined primarily by Israel, the conflict that Israel has with the Palestinians and it's defined by the, Israel's relationship with its neighbors um, and the countries in the region. So being right-wing in Israel doesn't necessarily make you capitalist or a free market. Um, it happens to be that there are certain elements of the right-wing in Israel that are free market um, partially because they've had influence from American conservatives, um, and neoconservatives and, and other uh, branches of American conservatives have influenced them. So, you know, uh, Netanyahu studied in America, he was connected to those uh, branches of American conservatism. Um, and then there are other Israeli parliamentarians, some of whom are also uh, free market, um, that, uh, that, that also um, reflect those ideas, um, independent of whether they're connected to the, to the U.S. Uh, political sphere, but primarily being right-wing in Israel has, doesn't have much to do with economics. It's mostly about being nationalistic and hawkish on security. So that might explain why there's that general discrepancy in terms of the focus of the notion of uh, you know, the, the right-wing or the Likud party in particular being supposedly free market, um, but having less reform than you might expect. The other thing that I would say, obviously, is that um, besides the fact that Israel is very, um, besides, sorry, besides the fact that Israel um, has this background um, in terms of the, the, the right wing overall, um, there are parties that the really, that that Likud and um, which is Netanyahu's party uh, that, is, that are in coalition are that are critical of diminishing the size of the state, diminishing regulations, and so forth. So a lot of, uh, so a number of the parties that coup is in coalition with are uh, parties that represent um, ups, the sphere of Judaism known as ultra-orthodoxy, which is a very fundamentalist, um, sectarian form of Judaism um, that doesn't prize secular education, that doesn't connect itself to the modern world, um, And economically, those parties depend on the idea that they're gonna be supported by the state so that they can then spend all their time studying Torah and the Talmud and the Jewish sacred texts. Um, And so those parties are very critical of diminishing the role of the state. Um, In addition, there are often parties that represent specific groups within Israel, like social groups and ethnic groups, um, sort of subgroups within the Jewish community that are also critical of lowering, lessening the role of the state, and bringing pro-market. Um, a significant example, um, at least it was for quite a while in the coalition, is the Shas Party, which represents uh, Sephardic Jews. Those are Jews that originate from the Middle East and North Africa, rather than from Europe. And that population um, is relatively less well off, hasn't been as well integrated into Israeli society, and is more critical of diminishing the role of the state as well, and they're an important dimension of Netanyahu's coalition. So those are some more reasons why you might not expect the reform that you might get, in addition to the fact that um, being right-wing in Israel is more about nationalism than it is about economics. Um, The other thing that you said that I think um, is interesting is that you compared Israel to Sweden, right, where you have uh, a large amount of transfers uh, and high taxes. Um, but a more dynamic economy, I wouldn't say that that's a particularly useful analogy, because the Swedish economy overall is much less regulated than the Israeli economy. Um, Sweden manages to pay for its welfare state by having a much freer um, uh, business sector, much less business regulation, and crucially has completely free trade. Right? Whereas in Israel, there are tariffs on an enormous amount of products, on a lot of uh, things that are crucial in major industries that result in protection for Israeli domestic industry so that those constituencies can be supported. So there's a great deal of regulation that exists in Israel that doesn't exist in Sweden and doesn't exist in a lot of European countries. I would say that a lot of the political economy in Israel is much closer to what those countries had, in like the 1960s or 70s when those
0: countries were much less successful okay so you mentioned the the issue of nationalism as the fine of israeli now it's it's interesting because i saw the news about the protests of the ethiopian jews in israel and and it was interesting Uh, the protests uh, were massive and and it has to do with the narrative that has been sometimes pushed Particularly on, on, on the on, on, on the left, on the more uh, the left that is more critical to, of Israel, than the that the Israeli right doesn't respect uh, ethnic minorities, including um, Black Jews, and and also has to do with the, uh, reading Haretz if I'm not wrong, last year that that the that the uh, I think it was a group of of, of of African Jews from Uganda, which are different from the Ethiopian Jews because they were part of the diaspora, as far as I understand that. But the issues that these African Jews converted to to Judaism before the creation of Israel, apparently around 100 years ago, and that uh, several scholars uh, point that, yes, there are... They have Jewish practice. They, they share a Jewish faith, and that one of these members wanted to make aliyah and he was denied. Uh, a reason. Yeah. And so, how these these things uh, work? How how does a, does a, a Jewish state that once supposedly a Jewish nationalism uh, could conv- be lives with uh, this kind of exclusionary policies? Sure.
1: Um, so I think. One of the difficult things, whenever you're defining um, a community, right, is who counts as part of that community and who's who doesn't count, right? Who's in and who's out, and that's been a significant question for Jews even before they had a state. Who counts as Jewish and who doesn't count as Jewish, and a lot of that has to do with the the ways that the Jewish religion, uh, because Judaism is an an ethnicity as well as a religion, um, defines who is Jewish. And that is usually that they have a lineage that uh, is in accordance with halacha, which is Jewish law, uh, which requires that you have a Jewish mother, um, and that their mother is Jewish, and their mother is Jewish, and so on and so forth, Um, and that you come, and that generally there's sort of a tradition of the community that you come from that we can recognize it's had a long Jewish presence such that we can trust that your background is not um, sort of... Um, kind of connected to other influences that might change um, your religious practice, and then change, therefore, therefore change your ethnicity. Um, that's just the way that traditional Judaism thinks about um, that. Thinks about the character of whether you count as being Jewish. Um, and for a long time, because of this need to define it, um, this was less important because before the state, Jews could live in all kinds of different communities. Um, with different sorts of rules and standards, um, and they didn't have to define who was in and out as rigidly. Um, but because Israel is a state, uh, is a state, right? Rather than just a Jewish community, um, it, the matter of who is Jewish becomes a, a function not just of rules uh, of the technical rules of Jewish law, but also of who is politically has power, whose priorities are put in place, um, and so. Unfortunately, there are uh, it's sort of what you might call a kind of internal Jewish racial hierarchy, where the people from who are of European uh, descent, Ashkenazi, like myself, and uh, are sort of often have the most power in society, are the most respected. Uh, a lot of the, them control uh, courts and uh, courts of law and and you know uh, public institutions and have set the agenda for whose lineage is the most respected. Um, And that is another reason why Ethiopian Jews and Sephardic Jews um, uh, have been less able to easily integrate into uh, Israeli society. Um, An additional reason is that Israel doesn't have a separation of religion and state, right? Because it's defined as a democracy but also as a Jewish state, it needs to define who's a Jew and who isn't, and because it has that process, um, whoever is in power then can change the way that it's understood. And for a long time, the, the people that control that definition have been ultra-Orthodox Jews who have a much more stringent definition of who counts as a Jew, um, particularly because they have a the traditional view that it's only mat- a matrilineal descent rather than from perhaps your father or your grandparents. Um and there's a kind of funny contradiction within Israeli law because in order to become a citizen of Israel, uh, under the law of return, you just need to have a Jewish grandparent, right? That's the And the reason that that law exists is because that's the criteria that the Nazis used uh, to determine whether someone was Jewish, and so it's a kind of reparation for the Holocaust. Uh, the problem is that internally within Israeli society, um, there are all kinds of, uh, so that within within Israeli law that are separate from the law of return, um, these definitions are uh, that these definitions are follow the more traditional line that's enforced by the ultra-Orthodox that have more power. Um, and so, people that may not have matrilineal descent, or people that come from a background that the sort of hierarchy of Jewish culture doesn't respect as much, uh, because of these racial divides um within within the Jewish ethnicity um, tend not to always have their uh, their background perspective. And so that's a major reason why Ethiopian and Uganda Jews don't all are don't always have their Judaism uh, legitimized by the authorities. Uh, it's another reason why Russian Jews as well have the same problem when they moved to Israel in the nineteen nineties after the Soviet Union collapsed. Um, but it's been more intense for the uh, Ethiopian Jews, the Yemen Jews, Jews of color in general, because of this kind of Ashkenazi supremacy of who is important in the Jewish narrative.
0: Yes, I mean it's 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 interesting what, what you're mentioning. I, I haven't think about it, but, but it's it's true. I mean, in, in Peru, the the Jewish community, I don't know the count is technically one thousand. People, I am not sure what's the, the ratio the definition, because I, I know people who identify as Jewish, but their grandparents are Jewish, and their parents don't practice any religion. So it's, a, I don't know, with, with Kulbari and, and I, I even knew of someone who, who, who was, I mean, their grandparents were Jewish, and these parents weren't practicing or anything. And, and even was considered making aliyah, so it's not that, that that they are not connected to to their Jewish identity, you know, to 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 make a, a big leap in their life from moving from country like Peru, which is very different than Israel. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's very. I, I guess it's a very. Contentious issue because I I also like have been following a little bit of the issue of crypto juice which uh, Spain has recognized uh, that that if if uh, people of uh, of, of the Spanish descent can prove that they were uh, uh, victims of the Inquisition, uh, they could. As for spanish nationality and for exchange that it sounds the country that, that there have been a lot of publications is the u s and it's, it's kind of surprising that that, that it happened uh, I, I mean in, in the question of, of of jews of color is a really interesting question and i think it it's it's a really interesting issue that that came up actually a lot strongly in the in the in the Last year, I mean, at least for for one or two days, it was very strong when people started talking about Julia Salazar was a candidate of, for state senate in, in, in New York or say assembly. I'm mean, not, not sure which of those positions, but she was she identified as a as a as a, as a Jewish Latina, and she. And, and then, tablet published a history that she wasn't Jewish, and it was a very complex issue. She, had, at at one moment of his life, had been a strong Zionist and, and, and fairly conservative, and now she was a, a DSA back at Canada. So, so it was a very complex story that it wasn't very clear. But a lot of people saw bad blood in the, in the kind of criticism that was formulated toward toward Joey Salazar. And, and it, it probably wouldn't have been the same if, if the convert would have been not a Latina woman, uh, but, yeah. but a white man. And, and it, it's, it's a lot of, 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 of complex issues, a lot of uh, the Jewish uh, Jews of color, because there's also the, the accusation that, that some particular on the right made that the Jews of color are, are even fake Jews, That, that, that just want to criticize Israel and say that they are Jewish, just to criticize them. So how do you see this issue still
1: open? Sure. So, um, yeah, like I said before, unfortunately, um, there is culturally, because, um, you know, European Jews, Ashkenazi Jews have been part of, of, you know, the West and of Europe, Um, they've had relatively more power than other Jewish communities. Um, that's just an accident of history, right? And so they end up setting a lot of the agenda for how reason is defined, what sort of Jewish practices are respected, what sort of traditions are important, that kind of thing. And so in America, most Jews um, are of Ashkenazi European descent. And so Jews who don't match that background um, tend to not be uh, looked upon um, as frequently with with sufficient respect, I think. Um, And those identities can often be ignored or erased. Um, It's especially bad in the case of black Jews, uh, Ethiopian Jews, Jews from Africa. It's not quite as bad for Spartac Jews whose cultural presence has been much stronger and much longer. Um, But it's definitely true that in the US case, uh, there's an Ashkenazi dominance, and it's also true in the Israeli case. Um, And it's why, for example, even though the Ethiopian Jews in Israel have their own uh, religious traditions um, and sort of slight differences in the way that they interpret Jewish law, um, those traditions have been less respected and acknowledged by uh, the Israeli authorities because they differ from some of the practices that Ashkenazi Jews uh, engage in. And so I think there's just going to be an ongoing battle for defining what, Cultural background of Jew counts as legitimate, um, and I think it's it's going to be a continuing problem because of the way that these subcategories of what counts as Jewish um, play out. It's it's sort of ironic, right? Because Jews, for most of history, have been a persecuted minority. Uh, They've been a religion and an ethnic group that society uh, didn't accept, particularly in Europe. Right? They were hundreds of years um, of persecution and by by the church, by European society, uh, that also occurred in the Middle East under Islam. Um, But unfortunately, Jews, like every other group on the planet, are not immune from being um, tribalistic and defining their territory in terms of who counts and who doesn't. Uh, They're guilty of this just as much as everyone else, because Jews are human like everyone else. Um, And so... Wanting to set those standards can sometimes lead people to exclude other types of Jews whose experiences or whose backgrounds are different from theirs. And so I think it's just gonna be an unfortunate, ongoing issue. I would like to see it change. I would like to have uh, Ethiopian Jews um, and Spartac Jews in Israel be much better integrated in society, be better respected, have the police treat them with more respect, have them get more state resources insofar as I believe that people should get state resources, which is a separate issue. Um, And I wish that in America, uh, there would be more understanding, acknowledgement, and interest in learning about Jews who don't have an Ashkenazi background. I think that's important. Um, And it's important for Jews uh, in terms of Jewish communities becoming stronger uh, and building each other, particularly when they are minorities within larger dominant cultures. Um, And it's especially important in the Israeli case um, because... One of the major threats to social cohesion in Israel and of people getting along and of the society succeeding in a productive way is having fewer arguments over who whose identity is legitimate and whose isn't. Uh, It makes it much harder to cooperate and to work productively with each other in society when you're constantly questioning each other's identity. Um, It excludes people. It makes it. It deprives certain communities. Um, And it's also. Uh, frankly, all, often not justified. You know, it's it's based on someone's notion that this particular, it's up to them to define whose Judaism um, is the most appropriate, but I don't think that there's some kind of objective definition. There's just a definition based on the tradition um, or branch of Judaism that you happen to identify with. And like I said before, a lot of this has to do with the fact that there's no uh, church and state separation in Israel, uh, which means that, or synagogue and state, rather, I should say, um, <laughs> Um, Israel, and that means that it becomes a political issue and not just a social issue, right? So you can't get married civilly in Israel. You have to get married through a religious court for it to be recognized as a marriage. Um, and so that creates problems not only for uh, people who want to get married whose Jewish status is question, but also for LGBT people, uh, secular people, all kinds of other issues that come up. Um, and so those are all things that I wish would change and would be resolved, but unfortunately I don't think that the mood in Israel is trending towards that kind of acceptance, at least at the moment.
0: Yeah, so continuing with the, the questioning about, about culture and Judaism, so one of the other uh, coming uh, clashes that seems to, to be in Israel is that the ultra orthodox population in Israel has is and at the same time, we have the vision that particularly Tel Aviv is a very liberal place where it has a very vibrant LGBT community. So how these two are are, are dealing with each other? How is there more openness in, in, in the ultra-Orthodox community toward, toward the LGBT community? Is there any attempt to, to to make a bridge between the two? Because at some point they're going to start to, I don't know, maybe have it in the same places or, or, or what, but at some point are, their wars are going to be intertwined in some way.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately the level of uh, cultural bridging um, between the ultra-Orthodox community and the rest of the Israeli society has been rather poor. Um, and that's not just for, you know, the, the secular liberals and gay people and, you know, transgender people, whatever, all those different kinds of groups in Tel Aviv, um, but also basically anyone who's not ultra-Orthodox. So that could include people who are modern Orthodox or the Zionist, uh, tradition, who people who identify as traditional, which means they practice some things but not everything. Um, there's a whole range of, of identities in Israeli society, and ultra-Orthodox community is kind of caught up for most of them. Um, because they exist in their own space, where they want to preserve what they see as being the correct understanding of what it means to be Jewish, of Jewish practice, of what they think God requires from them, all that, all that stuff. Um, and there's been a lot. They um, have don't have the same level of knowledge or uh, understanding about. Uh, the LGBT community because they live in they live in isolated places because they have a fundamentalist literalist view of the Torah and the Jewish tradition um, and so they're unwilling to change it and change their culture to be accepting right so there was um, famously a few years ago tragically uh, every year there's a Pride March right, for LGBT people both in, tel- in Probably every city in Israel I think, has one, but the biggest ones are in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. Um, Tel Aviv one is always very successful, very accepting, because that's the kind of city that it is. Unfortunately, a few years ago in Jerusalem, um, while uh, a bunch of marchers, people were, were marching, an ultra-Orthodox activist um, sort of jumped out and stabbed to death uh, a lesbian marcher uh, named Shira Banki, and it was a big tragedy for the community in uh, Jerusalem, and for the you know the, the, the gay LGBT community in Israel overall, and so oh, so my perception of it is that um, there hasn't been a very good job at bridge, building those bridges. Um, I know some great people who are trying. Um, I have some friends uh, who are who are in the gay community that uh, try and host dialogues uh, with people in um, Zion Square, which is a major Uh, major square in Jerusalem, uh, where there are a lot of shops and people, you know, people go and buy stuff um, and, and, you know, get groceries and that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, they hold, like, uh, LGBT flags with uh, the Jewish star on it to say, you know, that we're Jewish people too, we're part (laughs) of the society, you should include us. Um, It gets a lot of people who aren't very gay-friendly upset but uh, it means that those people try and talk to them, right? They're like, why are you holding this flag? Why are you, why are you doing this, you know, using our symbol this way? And so, it's because we, and so they say, because we think that we're part of this community as well. Um, and you should recognize that just because we have a sexuality that's different from you, doesn't mean that we're less important as human beings or members of the community. Um, and so those efforts have had some success, right? It hasn't changed the whole ultra orthodox community. It's just a few people talking in a square. Um, but those are the attempts
0: that people are trying to make to change things, and I hope that it will continue and grow. So the other thing I was going to ask you is one of the other issues where where I think, uh, uh, I mean, in Latin America in particular, which is uh, the case I I almost know, is is that there is a lot of... Of Jewish participation in culture I mean even in Peru which is has a very small Jewish community there are a lot of Jewish painters and, and writers and, and and it's a lot of, 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 the, of the relationship with with culture I, mean, I guess in, in the case of, of Latin America it has to do that, that the majority of, of Jewish immigrants are post um, World war II. so so they they obviously don't knew how to write in, in comparison with a lot of Of the indigenous population, that even for a great part of the 20th century, were didn't have the the schooling was very poorly, and it's still to to this day in rural areas is very poorly in Peru and other countries with large uh, indigenous population. But for different reasons, we we associate Jewish, uh, the Jewish community, with culture. Also, in the American case, in the case of Hollywood and, and the New York artistic scene, and and that is also an issue with with Israel, because when people a lot of times associate Israel is is, is with with the cinema, in particular, which is the, the form of art that is most um, easy to, to 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 show, I guess, in, in general ways, because translating books uh, is is more complicated and sometimes. Uh, mounting art exhibitions or bringing a band could be more 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 expensive so and, and 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 it's still i think the the film scene in in Israel is very diverse I and mean, one could see some films that are quite critical and about israel i think the uh, there was a, a an Academy Award nominee from israel which was which the government didn't want to, to, to be nominated and and things like that. That, that generate a lot of of, of of controversy. And at the same time is is the issue growing with the BDS movement that, that particularly I think it's going to affect the, the bands performing in Israel. Because if I'm not wrong there there have been attempts to 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 to, to move some music festivals from the US to to Israel, but that happened <laughs> at the same time that the BDS movement was kind of in love and that bands were making a statements that they were were not going to perform in Israel. And so how these things uh, coexist, the, the issue of of the of the artistic community generally being much more critical of Israel and at the same time, a boycott from, from overseas that, that is going to restrict the, the access of Israelis to 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 art and culture.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think you're certainly right that Israel is extremely innovative culturally. Um, there's a lot of great art and in you know a wide variety of areas, musically, in film, um, TV shows that are really amazing um, and uh, should be better known. Um, Actually, Netflix just picked up a whole bunch of Israeli productions. um, So hopefully those will be exposed to global audiences pretty soon, um, which I'm excited about, looking forward to. Um, And yeah, there's some great films, films like Beaufort uh, that famously, uh, and Walter with Bashir, both that had critical views of the Israeli military, um, but were lauded as, you know, as, art, as artistic drawings that I think are, are wonderful films. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that background is certainly very common and I hope it continues. Uh, in terms of the BDS movement, um, although I can recognize many of the goals that they have in terms of changing Israeli policy, um, I'm not a right-wing, um, pro, sort of hawkish uh, person when it comes to Israeli policy and conflict myself. Um, and so I recognize that those goals are important and I would like to change them. I'd like to end the occupation of the West Bank and, and the blockade of Gaza and change a lot of the, pol- the policies that the Israeli government does that I think are misguided. I think that BDS is the wrong uh, position to take. Um, and that comes out of a larger perspective that I have, that sanctions in general are the wrong approach to deal with changing governments. Um, I think what you end up doing is punishing the population of a country for the actions of a government with very little effect on particular, on the actions of the government itself. And so basically what you do is you provide not only Israelis but Palestinians and anyone who lives in the area of culture and music and things that could actually uh, build bridges and heal divides, right? Art is an important connector of people who have different backgrounds um, and, and deprive people of that opportunity in ways that um, just make things less uh, you know, le- le- uh, less positive for, for Israelis and Palestinians and the people who live there. So in general, um, I would say that BDS is a mistake um, and should be avoided. I would say that's true in terms of art, but I would also say that's true in terms of financial and economic investment, right? So people are often afraid of saying that companies should divest from Israel um, because um, because it ends up, you know, uh, allowing Israel to do better economically um, and therefore allows the Israeli government to be to, to continue and be supported, right? But ultimately what happens when you have divestment is that the people suffer, right? There are fewer jobs, there's less economic opportunity, people are more poor, more desperate. There's very little incentive for them to be more likely to trust each other, to come to agreements, to figure out how to resolve the conflict. Um, and it's just as true that these companies um, support the jobs of Palestinians um, and uh, people that are negatively affected by the conflict uh, as, it, as it as it hurts uh, Jews and Israelis. So, in general, I think the BDS movement is a mistake um, that people from a leftist perspective, not from a right-wing perspective, should reject.
0: Interesting, so yeah, I have had some, some of the same concerns in. in around this. Uh, um, Here, the one that has probably the most prominent supporter of BDS that has been making a lot of statements is Roger Waters from from Floyd, that has performed several times here. So he has been probably the only well-known person that has been making statements about uh, about uh, the BDS movement. I suppose because uh, for different reasons, uh, the majority of Peruvians, uh, a lot of part of Latin America is not president much interested in Middle East politics. Although uh, in Argentina, it's a little bit different because we have a, a larger Jewish community and at the same time, a larger um, a Middle Eastern community in general and in Chile also to a certain degree in Brazil, maybe to, to a certain degree in, in in urban areas at least. But but in general, not, not as much concern that but, but I, I I think it, it 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 also works toward alienating uh, the, the Israeli public, and and actually it could backfire and make the the Israeli public become even more reactionary and, and and more sympathetic to the right leaning message about the, the 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 war is trying to boycott the Israel that Israel has to, to take a more strong stand against, uh, against everyone. And, and I think that it's kind of dangerous. Um, so I, I think I agree with you on, on the video issue. But I was going to, to ask you, because now I think it's going to be a new elections in, in Israel. So how, how do you see this panorama being developed? Um, I'm
1: not sure that I have great predictions. Um... There are a number of parties that have come out um, that shift the landscape slightly um, in terms of some of the some of the numbers about who people might vote for. There's always there are often attempts to create um, parties that break the the binary of right wing versus left wing. Right, so the Likud party uh, versus um, the Labor Party. Um, Sometimes also now. Sometimes at least it was for a while. Calling itself the Zionist Union, um, an attempt to out-nationalize the nationalists. Um, the anyway. So in the recent elections, there, there are some center parties that are trying to gain ground to uh, position themselves as moderate voices. Uh, there's a party, I think, um, by Benny Gantz, who's a former um, who's a former general. Um, to uh, be some sort of less extreme voice I mean, the problem with a lot of these parties uh sorry it continues another party that is still prominent i think um from the previous elections is kulanu um, um, which means uh all of us together um the, uh, there's the YSAT party uh, that Yair Lapide runs, the former news broadcaster that's also positioned itself as self centrist and I would say uh, that the problem with all these parties is that they end up being very vague. Um, they're not very clear what they stand for, except that they're not extreme. Um, and they end up kind of just being political opportunists and going with whatever, um, you know, coalition ends up making it into power, um, and in the case of people like Lapid um, and... Um, Moshe Kahlon's Kulanu, they ended up just coalitioning with, uh, you know, Likud um, and being sort of just falling in line. So I I doubt that that will make a huge amount of difference unless they're willing to challenge uh, the current um, status quo in striking out a more specific position that's different from uh, either Likud or Labor. Um, And then the other party, I think one party that will be kind of interesting is... um, there's a, a new party that uh, Naftali Bennett, uh, who used to be head of um, D, which is the Jewish Home Party, which is the extremely right-wing, uh, far-right party that um, was has been um, in coalition with Netanyahu for the past while. Um, he broke off um, from from Binyud, saying that it was. You know, not as not successful as too much going with what Netanyahu wanted because Netanyahu, relative to Biden UD, has been a bit more moderate about <laughs> the Palestinian conflict. Um, and so, um, he started this new party. Um, I think uh, I don't remember the exact name, but it's something like the true right, um, party, um, right, or like the, the sort of the you know. I think it's something like Hayam Hayam Han something like that. Um, so, so there's this, you know, upstart right wing party that's a splinter party from an even smaller, more right wing party um, that was in coalition. And so, we'll see whether that takes away votes from uh, from Jewish Home, uh, whether that, you know, upsets by UD. Another important thing is that Netanyahu's polling has fallen a lot over time because of the corruption scandals about him, him and his wife misusing government funds, um, and so that might damage his popularity in terms of the number of votes that he gets. I'm not sure what will happen. Um, I do think there's sort of some splintering on the right. Uh, there's a lot of unclear middle parties. Um, unfortunately, the, the the Labour Party um, is somewhat unclear about what its messages and its goals are. Um, it doesn't have a sort of clear message, clear position on the conflict that's very different from the Kuds, um, and its leadership um, is, not, is, is not particularly inspiring, um, and, and it's fairly weak, I think. Um, and so, a lot of the different sides of Israeli politics are sort of in flux, um, and it makes it unclear whether um, what what the outcome will be. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, you know, Likud and Netanyahu have been party power for over a decade longer, um, and and they've continued to kind of rest on the fears of the Israeli public that the uh, status quo of the Palestinians is going to change, um, that sort of these cycles of violence will continue, and we need to be protected. Um, and so, you know, if they can continue that sense among the public then they might have a better chance than anyone else um, but I think that the lack of confidence in netanyahu the perception that he's corrupt um, uh, might might make a big difference so I'm not'm I'm not completely sure but those are all factors to keep in mind okay so the, the other thing I was going to
0: ask you is what about the developments in the for saying in some wars the, the extra parliamentary far right for example the the people that have been complaining very strongly and, and and sometimes even with open racist statements about the african refugees and and also the the people that are protesting uh marriage between jews and in particular with, with most of but basically with with anyone who is not jewish so how how are these developments of doing how how this are they also relating with the electoral and political stuff or are they not, not mostly? Extra-parliamentary in their world.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say that there are elements on the right that have those opinions. Um, you know, I think people like uh, Ayda Shekid uh, who is sort of the you know the, the right-hand woman or whatever, uh, to to um, uh, Natalie Bennett from Jerusalem, has said pretty horrible things about Palestinians, Arabs, uh, African refugees. Um, that are um, that are, are problems um, and reflect a larger trend on the right. um, um uh who's an important uh, pro Netanyahu politician, um, has said things about African refugees being, you know, cockroaches and aliens and illegal aliens and other pretty pretty racist awful stuff. Um, And so, yeah, that stuff is pretty prominent in in certain parts of the right wing, and uh, I wouldn't consider it particularly positive. Um, And uh, it's definitely there. Uh, There are right wingers, I think, who are more moderate, uh, who are less, uh, who are more interested in figuring out constructive solutions to integrate um, refugees, migrants who are less hostile to the presence of non-Jews in Israeli society. Um, I think... uh, People like Shalena uh, um and uh, even maybe Amir Ohana are in the coup party are, are more interested in, in that kind of reconciliation. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's definitely a rift on the right about the level of integration and um, sort of uh, like sort of populist, communitarian um, rhetoric and platform that they want to have. Um, and that's, that's concerning for me. Um, as someone who supports having a, multi- a multitude of different kinds of people live in Israel, um, that that's a big issue, um, and I hope hopefully it will change. Uh, but I'm not optimistic.
0: Yeah, other thing that I was going to to ask you was well, also continuing to speaking about this Israeli right was the the fact that there has been a lot of of, of articles and, and, and commentary made about uh, the Israeli. Relationship with the European far right, you know, and, and well, now even the, the American far right, uh, or American, well, I guess in America, it's more the Zionist position is more mainstream, but um, and and even with Latin America, with with the uh, people like Bolsonaro. So, how is this seen? Because, for example, the case of Ukraine is was very polemic. I think Haratz published a, a story about it, which was very interesting about. Uh, the relationship of, of the Ukrainian government with the with a sub battalion and this kind of paramilitary far right organizations that many times expose different kind of far right ideologies. Some are more close to Nazism. Some are, are, are uh, some kind of heterodox fascism, and then but all more or less expose uh, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Roma, anti-minorities, uh, anti LGBT Kind of a strong uh, vision and the fact that the Israeli government was, I think, even selling weapons to, to, to Ukraine, and but then somehow these weapons end up not in the Ukrainian military, but in the hands of, the, of these uh, paramilitary groups that are... Uh, that, that probably the, the Jewish community in Ukraine doesn't have much sympathy for them.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, um, there seems to be a trend where authoritarians of different countries like each other because they like authoritarianism, um, and that makes them ignore um, other elements that um, are actually threatening to um, Jews and Judaism, right? So Netanyahu has been very friendly to Viktor Orban uh, from Hungary. Um, He's been relatively friendly with, with Vladimir Putin. Um, despite also being critical of uh, Iranian incursions uh, to threaten what he sees as Iran's threat to Israel, which um, you know, uh, which Russia has sometimes supported, and so basically Netanyahu likes authoritarians and the authoritarian sort of trend in uh, world politics today. I don't think he's exactly fits the model of some of these guys because these guys sort of have a more populist style um, than Netanyahu has. Netanyahu is a more sort of uh, classic right-winger. Uh, he's less interested in sort of being like the magical strongman voice of the people um, than someone like Orban, but there's definitely a kind of authoritarian streak he has in terms of lack of respect for uh, civil liberties, for parliamentary procedure, um, these kinds of things. We're holding... The, uh, holding grip to power um, and you know limiting the actions of uh, members of Knesset, uh, which is the Israeli Parliament, um, and so there are there are, are stylistic and ideological elements that make Netanyahu and certain people on the right in Israel ignore the fact that um, these people within their own countries are extremely racist and anti-Semitic and a threat to Jews um, because they see them as being um, you know, they see them as mean kindred spirits in a sort of political, ideological sense. Um, and unfortunately, that's a big irony with a lot of these uh, these leaders. You'll see people will say, well, um, you know, they can't be anti-Semitic because they're so pro-Israel. But unfortunately, I think that their support for Israel has much less to do with being, with, uh, being sort of pro-Jewish and has much more to do with the idea that they approve of the very intense... Um, authoritarian, uh, militaristic way that Israel deals with uh, its problems than it does to do with being pro-Jewish. right? So they approve of Israel hawkishness, not necessarily of Israel's status as a Jewish state, and I think you see that with Bolsonaro um, and, with, and uh, Orban um, and many other authoritarian leaders. So there's a kind of irony there um, in the way that the Israeli right has made connections to these people.
0: Yeah, that seems a very kind of a, a curious development, and I think it's a very, it, it's certainly a, a very strange issue, and also it has to do that that that, that anti-Semitism is, is present on different kind of of, of political presentations. In, 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 in I mean, it's 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 very curious that. I mean, sometimes the the conspiracies could could be made about things that are quite simple. Um, for example, um, some a couple of years ago, uh, Janet Yellen, the the former uh, head of the of the Federal Reserve in the United States, was in was in Lima, and, and she and, and she she went to in his day off. She went to the Jewish school in, in Lima. And, and actually I, I know about this because the uh, sociologist was working on a thesis about, uh, about the the Jewish community. Lima mentioned it in a conference, but, but probably I wouldn't have known. Uh, and the only photo that was published was published in the Jewish uh, communitarian publications. So, but I, I suppose that kind of simple issue could have generated a, a huge conspiracy theory. And, and actually, um, uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, it, uh, a, a allegedly left-wing uh, politician, which is governor of, of a region in Peru, uh, tried to, to put a very anti-Semitic message. I, I am not sure if that region even has a Jewish population, because most, if not all, the overwhelming Jewish population basically lives in one district in Lima, which is the district which has the three synagogues. Because basically, I think there had at one point one in the in the jungle when there were Sephardic Jews that, that came, but but I, I'm not sure how exactly now. But but so it's it's really strange. This kind of also left wing antisemitism and and some issues around the Labour Party in yeah in the. In the in the in the UK and sometimes even in the BDS movement. So, I, I well, I'm aware of the the, the right wing anti-Semitism, Sometimes this kind of left wing antisemitism is is uh, it gets an excuse among the left for, for different reasons. And, and, and I think it's sometimes uh, it, it it's it's a little bit more complex to 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 attack because it sometimes is. It has a, a different kind of rhetoric that it's not of the classical antisemitism that 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 that, that merged legitimate criticism with with Israel toward a, toward a moral conspiracy theory kind of oriented in the end at, at, at the same time about about this kind of old tropes about antisemitism. So so how how do you see this kind of, of, of process that it's, it's kind of changing but but it's still there?
1: Yeah, so I think you're definitely right that there's anti Semitism on the left that people don't always talk about, uh, but should be acknowledged is very serious um, and as is an issue. Um, and that's, you know, the Labour Party is a great example of that. Um, as it is certain ways that BDS activists behave. I don't think BDS itself is inherently anti Semitic, but I do think that sometimes the way that certain sorts of people that are pro BDS Think or, or talk about Israel or about Jews can be um, so. Like you said, there's legitimate criticism of Israel, um, and then there's a certain sort of rhetoric that mirrors some of the tropes of classical anti-Semitism, um, or or certain sorts of unique uh, treatment of Jews um, that you could definitely uh, classify in that way. Um, and it's a big issue, I think. There, sometimes it's because um, Jews, I mean, anti-Semitism is a very complicated phenomenon, right? Um, like all kinds of racism, that can appear in, in weird, subtle ways that are hard to unpack. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, people on the left uh, think about Jews um using the classical stereotypes of anti-Semitism that filter through left-wing ideology, right? So Jews uh, have been relatively successful in a lot of societies because Jews have things like a culture that prizes education, right? Or um, a focus on, um, you know, uh, social advancement, right? Certain cultural aspects that make Jews more successful, um, but then allow them to succeed in places where sometimes other minorities don't right and so then those tropes get pulled out to say that therefore like Jews are kind of these manipulators of the strengths of power right um, and you see that in the ter- sometimes in terms of the way that the left talks about Jews in relationship to finance right um, sometimes when they talk about finance in the way that people control um, control the system they often reference Jews or reference Israel um, in ways that are problematic um, and kind of recreate this notion of Jews as, as sort of powerful controllers of the world, right? Um, you also see that in terms of the criticism of Israel, where um, Israel sort of you know controls the, the strings of, of the world's foreign policy, right, or of America, um, you know, that there's some kind of special lobby, that APAC is like some kind of Jewish-Israel lobby that controls America um, on the left. You see those tropes get repeated. I don't know that everyone who says those things is anti-Semitic, but I do think that those ways of talking are anti-Semitic. Um, whether the, someone who says it knows that or not, they're repeating notions that are extremely old about Jews controlling and manipulating society, um, you know which are completely untrue, right? Like, so for the reason that America is pro Israel um, is not because lots of Jews are controlling the spirits of power, but because a lot of um, Americans, um, particularly evangelicals, have a, have a religious or ideological view about Israel as being, you know, legitimate that makes American more likely Israel, right? Because, um, like, demographically, Jews are a tiny minority in America. So the chances that they have this kind of control is pretty unlikely and pretty absurd. But given that most Americans are pro-Israel, it seems pretty obvious um, that this is a better explanation for why Americans are pro-Israel. So yeah, there are a lot of tropes on the left where leftist ideologies, ideology can can, give, can make you more likely to um, to create to repeat or engage in tropes. Um, that uh, exclude Jews or treat Jews uh, in ways that are anti-Semitic. You see this also uh, in the recent um, issue with the Black Lives Matter um, protests um, and also with the Women's March in America, right, where people like – Linda Sarsour and uh, Tamika Mallory, um, have associated with uh, people who have said thing really kind of obvious anti-Semitic things about Jews, like Louis Farrakhan, um, and, and sort of looked at them as me- at that, at people like that as mentors, um, and and refused to denounce them, and um, and sort of said that Jews can't be uh, an oppressed people because they're not uh, people of color, they're successful, successful, that anti-Semitism isn't a serious concern. Um, I think that notion of, again, like the the idea that success means that you can't be oppressed in any way, that Jews um, sort of are manipulating people to make themselves important, um, uh, refusal to recognize um, and disassociate with people who are clearly anti-Semitic like Farrakhan, um, and, and other certain sort of, black leaders that have this issue um, are all examples of anti Semitism on the left that people on the left should take seriously, um, and it's certainly concerning um, in the discussion about anti Semitism.
0: Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's true that the complexities of anti Semitism are, are really very heavy to 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 sick you know, in, a, in, a, in any easy way. And I think it's a, a very a continuous challenge to society to, to keep challenging this this kind of prejudice. So I think we'll leave it here. It has been really a, a very interesting conversation. So you know, where could people uh, read right where you are writing, where could people find
1: it? So, um... As you said in the intro, uh, I write mainly for two websites, uh, Sweet Talk Conversation. I do some occasional blogging there, um, and I write uh, some essays at Liberal Occurrence. Um, so you can find my writing there. I'm also on Twitter, um, at my name Akilo Alamet, um, And those are the, the main ways to reach me and, and reach out to me. Um, and I look forward to any ideas or thoughts that people might have uh, if they, they want to share them. Okay, so I
0: think, we will leave it here, and it has been really a, a pleasure to have this very interesting
1: conversation. Thanks, Daniela. I appreciate it. It was good to meet you.